each individual a different note, a different sound, out of their innermost being. No vocal. And sometimes the sea of glass would bump a group up higher to hit a high note. And this orchestrated worship before the throne of God all went into the heart of the Father. Just, and it just kept streaming in and streaming in. Finally, the Lord would sing back over His people. And, and, and you know... That's, I, like this, I like this song, I will sing of your love forever. Why do we say will? That puts it off to someday in the sweet by and by. Lord, I sing of your love forever. Because here's why. I was standing there, and as I'm watching this in awe and wonder, there's a sound coming out of me. I said, Lord, what, what is this? He said, you have read in my word that I inhabit the praises of my people. That's a misquote. He said, what it actually says is, I inhabit my people who are praise. If you understand the frequency of the realm of the Spirit, and you are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, what comes forth out of you is a frequency of worship and praise. You don't always need your mouth to have that enter into the symphony and the harmony of the worship of heaven. Why am I telling you this? Because during worship, all of heaven was joining in. In the same way that I saw then. There is a new sound that is being released that's coming forth. And it's not going to be anything like what we have seen. And there's a reason for that. Because the Spirit of God is bowing Himself to the earth in worship. Because he has prospered in what God has sent him to do. Genesis 24. He found the bride for his son, Jesus. Genesis 24 talks about that in metaphor and type. Something is drastically shifting. We better get ready. Now I want to show you a prophetic image, a picture of something... The Lord's been doing to me. He's been opening my eyes for quite some time now to... I, I love the study of metaphor, type, symbol, prophetic, infliction, if you will, in Scripture. But something shifted a few years ago, and, and He began to talk to me about how He defines the end of time with, by the beginning. And you can define the end of the church age, what, which we're entering into now, by the beginning of the church age. And the, but, but I've been studying this for a few years and I'm just blown away at the, the revelation that we can find in Scripture. So it wasn't too long ago he said, I want you to turn to, to Luke chapter 19 and look at the triumphal entry. He said, I'm going to show you something that's being released right now at the end of the age. And I said, okay, Lord. Now most of us are familiar with that passage of Scripture, you know, Palm Sunday and, and, and those different things and that's great but I want you to see something and catch this because if you catch this it will transform your life you're be, I'm releasing a revelation that if you grab hold of it if you're even willing to grab hold of it it'll change everything remember what I said the other night if you're willing he's your able if you make the choice God makes the change you, you ain't that good they used to tell us. You're just not, you can't do it on your own. You've proven that time after time. 
And apart from him, you can do nothing. So you might as well just enter into covenant and say, okay, God, I'm going to make a choice. Thank you for making the change. That's called rest, by the way. So in Luke 19, where, where, where do we want to start, Lord? We'll start in uh, verse 28, I think it is. Verse 28. When Jesus had said this, and when it says he in caps, I'll use his name so you know what's going on. When Jesus had said this, Jesus went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples. Now look at, we know that the Lord is going to return by touching down on the Mount of Olives one last time, right? Yes. Pay attention. Here is a prophetic picture of what this is going to look like just before he ascends on the Mount of Olives and returns. Two is the number of witness. He speaks to two of his disciples and he says, I want you to do something. What he asks them to do is very different and unique. He says, go into the villages opposite you where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. Go steal that colt. Do you understand? He's asking them to do something that's atypical. That's not something you do. And I don't know about your Bible. My Bible doesn't say anywhere in there that they argued with him. Lord, that's, that's not right. You don't just take somebody's beast of burden. Look, I've, I've seen this pattern for years in Scripture. There were multitudes that would follow Jesus. We all know that. We, we read it in the Gospels. A lot of them would go because that was the greatest entertainment of their time. Great distraction. A lot of them went because the words touched them and, and moved them, but it didn't necessarily find good soil. Some of them went because of a free lunch. Come on. Some of them went to see the spectacular miracles. Some of them needed those spectacular miracles. Some of them were a little more serious and Jesus chose 70 and sent them out. And so they had a measure of anointing for a, for a specific purpose. But there were only 12 that he called to become disciples. And disciples spend 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year serving the Master in His presence, sitting at His feet, eating what He gives them to eat, speaking what He tells them to speak, doing what He tells them to do. Do you understand? It's not a follower. It's a disciple. We have very few disciples in the church. And it was only the disciples that became apostles. Not because they were anointed. The 70 didn't become apostles because they were healing the sick. In other words, it was the time spent developing intimacy and growing in that that released a mantle that caused them to become like Jesus. You don't volunteer. They were called. You don't preach a sermon and print a card and take a banner out and say, I'm Prophet Profound. 
Steve Stunning Evangelist. You don't self-appoint yourself and the church is rife with that foolishness. Your gift makes room for you. Now listen, I know people do this. Well, brother, I'm called. Good. Then be quiet and walk it out and prove it. Love. You don't have to tell us what you are. It'll be evident. And so they learned to be obedient to the voice of God. And when he said, go and do, they went and did. Not considering the circumstance or what might happen, they just said, okay, Lord. Vast difference. Even among the twelve, however, there was one with the wrong motive. Money. There's nothing more repugnant to God than somebody that will merchandise the anointing. He drove those people out of the temple. And he's about to do it again. And so, of those twelve, he had three that he would take aside to those intimate moments that he had alone with God. He invested even more into them because I don't know what he saw in them. There was something in them that he said, I've got to invest a little bit more in them. Of the three, only one would lean upon his breast and know his very heartbeat. Now that's the church corporately. The followers, the 70, the 12... Even those who fail, the three, and the remnant that know his very heartbeat. Now, he sends them. Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. I want to submit to you tonight a prophetic picture, something... I said this last night, I think it was, in jest, but it's not really in jest. I said, for 47 years, I've studied Balaam and his donkey, wanting to know the character of that donkey and what his name was, and I finally found the name of the donkey, Bruce. <laughs> because, see, every one of us right now, as you hear this message, you're going to be given an opportunity to become a donkey. Northbound donkey, the north side of that donkey, hopefully. <laughs> Look at... Yeah, you'll get that later. I want to read it to you out of the Passion Translation. After saying all of this, Jesus headed straight for Jerusalem. When he arrived at the stables of Amni, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead saying, When you enter the next village, you will find tethered there a donkey's young colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone stops you and asks, what are you doing? Just tell them this. It is needed for the Lord of all. You know a donkey is a beast of burden. It has a very uh, limited scope of service in its life. It will carry its master or its master's goods. That's all it does. It might occasionally be harnessed to plow ground, but usually donkeys weren't strong enough for that. They sometimes would tether a donkey to, to turn a wheel, but mostly that was oxen, not donkeys. Only poor people would do that, <laughs> poor enough to own a donkey. 
but they're, they're beasts of burden. They're raised and reared to carry a burden. So are you. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. you. You're called into the kingdom to be yoked together with. And I don't know if you'll know this, most of you probably do, but when you have a young beast of burden like that that's to be yoked, they always put it together with an older beast of burden because this one knows what it's doing so it can train the younger one and that's why the yoke is easy because the older one knows where it's going and how it, where to turn and what to do. And he carries the brunt of the, the burden and the weight. But the tether, it was tethered to a post. The post is a prophetic picture of a religious system that keeps you tied to an old system of tradition and religion and you have no liberty to break free from the norm and enter into the service of the master in a way that is beyond your comprehension. So it's got to be a young cult. What does that mean? That means somebody that is young at heart, teachable, hasn't been ridden, therefore has not been trained or broken. That's a good word. And therefore is not released into the service of the particular master. It's teachable. Now that doesn't mean because you have been in church for many years you're not teachable. That decision is yours. You can fall upon the rock or you can let the rock fall on you. You can say, Lord, I don't know anything yet as I ought. That's scriptural. Or you can say, I know what God's trying to say. You know, every past move of God took a, a, a fragment of a revelation and they built a denomination and they camped on it and said, this is the full counsel of God. <laughs> the height of ignorance. Nobody has the full counsel of God but Jesus. No, you're wrong. Jesus doesn't even have the full counsel of God. How can you say that? Because nobody knows the day or the hour when he's going to return except for the Father, not even Jesus. Oh, I never thought of that. See, don't, don't be... Proud, proud and lifted up in your revelation or what you consider to be a powerful revelation. That's a building stone. That's a block. Keep going. Because he only gives you line upon line. Here a little, there a little. If you got a great revelation today, get even more excited because he's got a bigger one tomorrow. Yeah. Keep going. Don't camp. You can, you can build an edifice or a museum and stagnate on or you can build a signpost and a memorial and grow on. Lots of edifices. And so, if anybody asks you, tell them the Lord of all needs, needs your, your, your beast of burden. So the disciples, and you know what? They went and they found it exactly as he said. Isn't it interesting that when you do what God says, it's exactly what he said he would do? Amen. I didn't know that. That's because you don't do it when he tells you. Why? Because we're confused. Is that the voice of God? Is that me? Am I imagining this? I don't know if I trust that. What happens if I make a mistake? I might look stupid. Well, we can go down the list. You're going to make mistakes. You always already look stupid. It might not be God. It might be God. But you know what? You'll never find out until you take a step of faith. Come on. And then if you miss, you learned. Okay, that one wasn't God. Well, what voice was that? Was it my flesh? Was it the devil? What was it? And you learn. 
I don't know if I want to do that. Why not? You do it all the time. So do I. Well, no, I don't. I, I don't confess that. I've done it so many times in my life. If I wrote a book, it would reach to Mars and back a dozen times. But I'm not afraid of mistakes. I, I, I got over that a long time ago. The only thing that concerns me is, Lord, I don't want to miss your voice and be disobedient. So they went and found it just as he said. And the two who were sent entered the village and found the colt exactly like Jesus' head. And while they were untying the colt, the owners approached them and said, What are you doing? Now think about it. I love this story because I think about I'm going to go down to the Mercedes store. <laughs> Take the keys. Get in that car and start, what are you doing? Well, the Lord has need of this. Oh, well, in that case, go ahead. Now, you can only do that if God tells you. There have been people that have tried because they thought God told them. And after they got out of prison, they realized it really wasn't God. But the Lord has done things like that. He's done incredible things. I had a friend that has a ministry and he owns a number of ships. And there was a tugboat for sale, a brand new tugboat. And so he and his wife went and looked at it and they went out and they said to the, the guy that owned it, it was on the Sacramento River, he said, yep, we want it. Good, how much money you got? Nothing. Oh, what? You got nothing? They, he wanted almost a million dollars for What are you? He, he said, well, what are you doing here? Well, the Lord has need of this. And the guy went, well, I guess if God needs it, I'm not going to stand in your way. Here you go. Not only that, you can keep it moored here for free. That doesn't happen often. You've got to be led of the Lord. I'll tell you what, they were givers. One day somebody gave into their ministry a million dollars, scared them half to life. <laughs> He's, he's, he said, I couldn't give that away fast enough because if I held on to that, it would stop the flow. He started passing it out as quick as he could, wherever God showed him. And I'm telling you, they live by faith, they move by faith, everything they do, and they've got fleet, a fleet of ships and airplanes, and they take, they take uh, supplies all over the world, free, given a Coast Guard station in Galveston. Amen, brother. Thank you. Okay. Don, yeah. And so, they found the colt. The disciples replied, We need this donkey for the Lord of all. <laughs> Amazing. Then they brought him to Jesus. I've got to be careful in this. As careful as a they took this untested, untried, teachable new believer. Not to church. To Jesus. Nothing wrong. I'm not against the church. Most of them. Look, they took him to Jesus. The 
best thing you can ever do is not point people at an edifice, at a stream, at a theology or a doctrine. You point them to Jesus. You know, I, I told you the other night that it's time we started leading people into the kingdom. And before we take them through a sinner's prayer, we say, now this is what's about to happen. Not only are you going to be born again, you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You're going to be instantly healed of whatever you've got. You're going to have your spiritual eyes opened. You're going to be off and running and, and translating across the planet to preach the gospel. Wait, he hasn't been to Bible college. No, he's been to Jesus. See, you bring them in with the full meal deal, if you will, not with the 12 step. You've got to get saved. You've got to go to new believers. You've got to get baptized. You've got to get filled with the Holy Ghost. You've got to go to Bible college. You've got to be a youth pastor. You've got to be... That's religion. That can have its place. Don't misconstrue that. But why do we start this instead of saying, you're in the kingdom, it's all yours? That's the way we do it. We had a young lady in Malaysia again. We had gotten to know a doctor over a medical doctor, became a friend of ours. And one day we, he said, hey, you guys want to come to our house for dinner? Well, that was a huge thing because... They only do that if you've developed a relationship and friendship. So we, we were honored. We said, sure. So we, we, he picked us up, and we're going to the house. It's about a, was it a 25 40 to 40 minute drive. And on the way, he starts saying, oh, by the way, our maid got saved. Muslim nation. And so we gave her a Bible because we can't, you know, keep preaching to her. That's against the law. So we gave her a Bible. She's reading it. She read about baptism. She wants to be baptized. Can you do that? I said, well, I wish you'd have told me before we left the hotel because I'm not dressed for this. He says, oh, no, we don't have a pool. We don't have a bathtub. I'm going, I'm not baptizing anybody in a toilet. I'm sorry. <laughs> he said, we have a shower. I said, that's crazy enough to be God. I'm in. Okay. So when we got there, she was ready. She had her t-shirt on, her short pants, and she was all excited. And so we all went into the bathroom together. And I said, this is what's going to happen. This is the significance of baptism. It speaks of death, burial, and resurrection. But when we do this, and I started talking about the washing of the water, the washing of the blood, I said, but you're going to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and God's going to give you new language. And, and I, I mean, these things, and she's, okay. Turned on the water, and she went. She wouldn't come out. I wasn't. Finally, finally, the, her employer said, uh, "You have to come out because you got to serve us dinner." See, if you build expectation, they receive. One young man was told. You know, he came out of Satanism, came out of darkness, and he had been tattooed head to toe with all sorts of demonic pictures. And, you know, he was really grieved, but, but he's going to give his heart to the Lord. And they said, look, this is what's going to happen. When you give your heart to Jesus, old things are passed away. All things become new. God's going to take those tattoos. Gone. God can do anything. Even through donkeys. <laughs> so, 
brought the colt to Jesus. Now here's, listen. These are the apostles, right? Do you know what a mantle was in scripture? It was a prayer shawl. Now you just think about this. You have a mantle from God. You, have, you all have mantles from God. One wear. But, but you know what the prayer shawl is? You know what the prayer closet was? You put the mantle over your head. So it speaks that this mantle increases. The first thing is for is for you to develop intimacy with God. Okay, that'll sink in. And so because of the time spent in that place of intimacy and developing in that and getting close to the master, guess what come, begins to come off of him and flow into you? Proximity releases promotion. More is caught than taught. You know what the school of the prophets looked like in the Old Covenant? If you're called to be a prophet, hang out with prophets. If you're called to be a pastor, spend time with pastors. Evangelists, do you understand? And then just get around, mingle, serve, do whatever. But it, you, it, it begins to rub off. first time I did a conference in Australia with Brother Sadhu and, and Brother Neville. I, I went there and I'm in the hotel and I'm going, God, what am I doing here? I mean, this is like 12 steps above my pay grade. I mean, what are we doing? And I'm, I'm like, what am I bringing to this table? And Reshma says, are you coming to the meeting? I said, no, no, I'm staying here to pray. My prayer was, help. <laughs> she went. So I'm crying out to God with all this within me. Lord, what, you, what am I doing? He said, I've already given you plenty of revelation. Share that. I said, but that's not... He said, trust me. And so I'm pondering this, and all of a sudden, I'm out of the room, and I'm standing in this cave. Now, this cave was a little about the size of this room, but the entrance was not as big. And I saw the sun going down. It was a massive red sun, just about to go down below the horizon. And I knew it was... I'm standing in the cleft in, in the rock, Jesus, at the end of the age. And as I'm looking at this, it was beautiful. And I'm looking around, and it's great. And all of a sudden, somebody stepped up next to me. And immediately, I knew who it was. It was Elijah. And I said, did Jesus come in the flesh? And he smiled. I saw the smile, and he said, of course he did. I said, sir, why are you here? He said, the Lord sent me to teach you how a man can go from the natural life to eternity without tasting death. I said, okay, you got my attention. He said, you ready? I said, I am. I mean, yes, I am ready. I better be. He said, pay attention. I said, okay. He stuck out his arm and it became light. Now, what's that significant of? Go back. In that July, this was September, in July, I had an encounter with the Lord when I was in a hotel room praying because I was in another situation I didn't want to be in. I was asked to come to speak at a conference that they already had the international speakers for. And I said, you already got speakers. I don't want to come. Leave me alone. I want to go home. No, no. You got the Lord said, be quiet and come. I said, really? He said, yes. I said, okay, why do you want me to come? He said, well, the, the, the 
main speaker wants you to come and speak the first night for 15 minutes. I said, why? He said, because you bring the glory. I bring the glory, I got 15 minutes. There's no pressure in that at all. <laughs> I don't even know what you're talking about. And the Lord said, just say yes. I went, oh, okay, I'll come. Oh, good, we'll pick you up. Now I'm praying. <laughs> Help! I kind of, that's my, you know, language with God all the time. Help. Immediately I'm standing somewhere in the Spirit. I don't know where, because I didn't see anything. This was focused on one thing only. And the Lord said, remove that mantle. Well, at the time, the only thing I had on was a shirt, you know. And so I started doing this. And I opened it, a button. How many of you have ever seen the movie Superman? <laughs> Repent. No. So I did that, and light came out. I mean, and I went, <gasps> scared me to life. And he said, remove it. And when I did that and dropped it, I was standing there as a being of light. I was going, what is this? He said, that's the real you. You need to change the way you think and see yourself, and you need to see yourself as I am. Tell my people they need to identify with who I created them to be. So I'm standing there as a being of light going, wow. Vision's over. I went to the meeting that night. He said, now he had Senator Congress. I mean, all these dignitaries, because they're dedicating the church. They got a program. I don't like program. Why? Because I don't like the religious protocol that denies Christ his place. That's just me. So... He come up during where he said, now, you're going up first. Remember, 15 minutes. I said, got it. Because I asked the Lord, what am I going to do? He said, just share the experience you had this afternoon. I said, okay. So I got up and I started sharing that experience. And the glory of God came in, the kabod. Unsaved and saved alike were just going. It took me nine minutes. He still owes me six. <laughs> And I handed him, and he, he walked up right at that time. He said, whatever God tells you to do, do it. I said, oh, good. God can break programs. I said, I just did. Give him the microphone. And he stood there in confusion. Uh, uh, he didn't know what to do. Finally, he said, okay, let's move on. And I went, oh. But I did my part. We talked afterwards, and he realized the mistake. Look, obedience is all God's asking of you, not performance. You're not called to stand up and perform. You're called to stand up and be obedient. God does the rest. Hallelujah. Then in August, that was July, August, we had our annual conference in Spokane, and we had Brother Sadhu come. Brother Sadhu, if, if, if you don't know who Brother Sadhu Sundar Salvaraj is, he's, a, he's originally from Singapore, but he's been an apostolic prophetic voice throughout uh, Nepal and, and India for years. Walked almost, I mean, sandals up the Himalayas in the freezing snow. I mean, most of us had freeze to death and couldn't breathe at that altitude. He just keeps going like a hind on hind feet. I'm just amazing. But he, I mean, 
visitations from God all the time. So he came into the green room that night before the conference started, and he said, he starts talking about his visitation last night with Abraham. And I said, of course he had a visitation. There was no jealousy. Just saying. And he, he shares with us this visitation. And it was profound. The revelation he received. Somebody just said, wait a minute. You can't have... Listen, he doesn't ask for any of that. His only sole focus and purpose is Jesus. You, you pursue Jesus, he can do what he wants and speak to you in any way he wants. Don't limit him to your reason. Release him to the reality of who he is. So... And he said, and just as he was leaving, he said, oh, and tell Bruce to study light because he's going to find what he's been looking for. That was the second. I went, wow. And then I was excited. I made the addendum list of Abraham. I thought, well, cool. <laughs> Write that in my journal. Then September, now I'm standing in this cave with Elijah, and he says, I'm going to show you how you transition from life, this natural life, to eternity without tasting death. And he put out his arm and it became light. He said, now practice, do this. At first, I'm, I'm overwhelmed and I'm going, ugh, ugh. and he laughed at me. He laughed at me. <laughs> he said, remember what he's taught you already. And I stopped and went, okay. Wait a minute, I already am light. He said, excellent. Keep doing that. Practice this every day. Practice what? Uh, no. I see myself as a being of light. I, you know, prophetic gestures are important where I come from. I'm from heaven, by the way. So are you. And so I do something by faith to show God I honor and respect what He's invested in me via revelation or, or visit. And, and I do something by faith. Well, that looks ridiculous. I don't care. I'm not here to impress you. I have an audience of one. Obedience is all he's looking for. And so, I, I, I do that every day. So, I got it. He says, very good. And he turned and he stood in front of me. And he has a key in his hand. So a key that God had given me a year earlier. And I, I thought, he's pickpocketed me. <laughs> he kind of grinned. He said, put out your hand. And I'm standing there in my natural state of light. And he put this key that was made of light into my hand, and it dissolved into me. Now that freaked me out. I went, what, what was that? He said, you're the same frequency of light. You are the key. Now listen, all of this was in conjunction with understanding translation by faith, translocation. You know what he said? Remember Mark chapter 9? Jesus in the mountain. The Lord said, you can do that by faith. Not so you look good. No, everything we do by... Jesus did it by faith. He went up to the mountain. He recognized... I mean, he, he let come forth out of him what he truly was. And it removed the veil between two dimensions. And he spoke to Moses and Elijah face to face. You can do that when he tells you to. But you can do it by faith. And that's what he told me. The more you practice this, the more you see yourself as who I created you to be, you build a bridge from the natural to the spiritual. Because what you behold, you become. 
What you focus on, you'll connect with, and activation takes place. So we keep practicing. And something shifts. Something shifts. It changes. See, that's what I mean. We've got to be this cult that we're teachable. God says, go right, you go right. Where are we going, Lord? Just trust me. Well, that's blind obedience. Absolutely. And it's the most, the greatest adventure you will ever have. And so then, after I did that and he gave me the key, he said, now good, now follow me. And he walked right through the wall. And I'm still kind of going like this, and I walked right into the wall. I went, bam! Now, in the body or out of the body, I don't know, but that hurt. <laughs> and it knocked me right down, and he's laughing. I thought, it's a good thing you're outside the wall, bro. <laughs> Not that I could do anything, but... And he said, remember what he taught you. And I went, okay, I'm light. That's right. And I got the revelation. You just come into agreement with the frequency of what looked like solid matter but wasn't. See, at a subatomic level, that's not solid. So I just, I, I don't know how, I just agreed. Okay, I'm the same frequency. Walked right through it. He said, excellent. Keep practicing. So, teachable, teachable, teachable. Now, I'd like to say every single day without fail, I do this. I'd be a liar. But I don't get disappointed either. I'm in process. I do it more often than not, but if I miss, I don't go, oh, condemnation. <laughs> shut up, flesh. Shut up, devil. Father, forgive me. Let's keep going. See, you're going to make mistakes. Get over yourself. Just repent. Keep going. Fall towards the goal. And keep going. And so, here's what these apostles did with this teachable young donkey. They took their mantles off. And all of them put the mantles on the donkey. You see, at the end of the age... What began in seed form with 12 is going to explode from infancy to maturity. You're always, I mean, the church is always saying, I want that mantle, I want a mantle, I want a... You don't understand what's about to happen if you remain teachable and you're untethered from a religious system that keeps you in bondage and you, you're submissive to the will of Jesus. He's going to release every mantle! Yeah! And we're going to walk as mature sons because Jesus walked under the unction of every mantle because He's the fulfillment of them all. That wasn't even the ultimate because when all those mantles were there, the King of Glory Himself sat on that donkey. They have habitation. You got all the anointing and you have a habitation. The King of the Universe. When I was reading that, I went, oh, my heavens. We've been running around looking for the trigger, the, the switch, the one rev teachability, submission. This generation has no concept of what's about to happen. They start walking, and you know what? Look at Jesus wrote it as he descended the Mount 
of olives toward Jerusalem. As he rode along, people spontaneously threw their mantles. Oh, my. In front of him, like a carpet. Not only do you have the apostolic mantles released in this hour and the habitation of Jesus that's going to transcend any apostolic you've ever witnessed to date. But every other anointing, calling, mantle is going to be laid as a foundation for what God's about to release. He told me years ago, he said, stop looking at past revivals and longing for them. You can study them and see the birth pangs that are leading up to the greatest awakening the world would ever have. But don't wish for what's happened yesterday. What woman in labor says, I wish I could have that pain of yesterday? No. It's pointing towards something that's far, far greater than anything we've ever witnessed before. They're birth pangs. Learn from them. Move on. Because he's releasing something. Now, every Rosh Hashanah, I've had an encounter the last 18 years with Jesus. That's the Hebrew New Year, sometimes September, sometimes October. And when he visits me, I, I was talking with Bobby Connor. I hadn't even realized this, but that's when he gets his yearly visitation. Writes a nice little book, which I don't do. He's a good author. But I have a visitation also. Three years ago, he gave me the key. Two years ago, I was caught up into heaven. I'm standing looking, and here's Jesus as the King of glory. I, now, I've, I, I've spent a lot of time as Jesus with my, my best friend. I, I hang out with Jesus. I, that's, that's, that's not right. You don't say things like that. Sacrilegious? Dear God, I hope so. There's no religion in relationship. We hanging out. Yep. He's my best friend. He's been my healer too. That's a different look. I, I mean, I've met him once before as a, the yet great intercessor. He stood up off his throne and he spoke. And <laughs> but as the king of glory, with that crown on his head, the scepter in his hand, and the royal, I fell as a dead man. I mean, he turned up the wattage. <laughs> Boom, I'm down. As I'm going down. I look behind him and see the throne of God and billions of people standing on the sea of glass, silent. Wow. And I knew as my face hit the dirt, there's about to be a proclamation, a release like we've never witnessed before. And I don't know how long I was on my face before God worshiping at his feet. I didn't want to get up. But at some point, I, something touched me. I don't know what it was. I was able to stand back up. And Jesus, with his, his eyes of fire, I mean, he was the king. He's standing and looking at me, and I noticed somebody walking up, and I looked, and it was Enoch. I, I, got, I always wanted to, you know, meet Enoch. I'm thinking in the suite by and by. When I, he's walking up. He's carrying what look. You ever see the old uh, family Bibles, the 40-pounders? The <laughs> I had a friend who used to carry one of those around everywhere he went. I went, you're, you're nuts, man. He, he was a preacher evangelist. He loved that. <laughs> And so, that, I mean, it was that big. And I was so excited. I, oh, Enoch. I said, 
what, what are you carrying? And he lifted it up and smiled. He said, well, this is the book of mysteries I began to write when I was on the earth. And he handed it to me and said, finish it. Here's the key I want you to understand. On Rosh Hashanah is when he's speaking to the church, not to the individual. You've all been given this. Finish this book of mysteries. See, what, see this, this generation has a destiny. And in that finishing of that book of mysteries, there are signs, wonders, and miracles that have never been witnessed. Let me, let me just throw a couple out. When's the last time you saw or heard a testimony of somebody who was cremated being raised from the dead? See, break out of the box. The Lord always told me, he said, you ask for things you've never seen or never heard. I said, what? Never seen or never heard? I don't even, how can I ask for something I've never seen or never heard? That means I'm going to have to really sit there and go, okay, let's come up with something. <laughs> Somebody's cremated being raised for the dead. How's that? that he said, now nah, that's easy. <laughs> but I'm telling you, we're about to see things. This is what he told me. As you get this revelation, we've heard for years that it's going to be so amazing what God's going to do, the news media will have no recourse but to cover. And then it'll be... A, Nightly fake news. I don't know if that's very good. But it, they'll be reporting it. Because it's going to capture the attention of the world. This is about to happen. We See, we shifted. I told you last night, Jesus said the shift has begun. Oh, get ready. Get ready. And so then I'm looking at Enoch and... Oh... Father Enoch, would you bless me? He said, no. I said, why? He said, Jesus has already blessed you. You don't need me to bless you. You know, it's one of those duh moments. Like, I, I, I knew that. <laughs> I turned to look at Jesus. He said, I have given you wisdom and insight into translation. Now I'm releasing understanding. Bam! It hit me like a physical force. Then he reached over to Enoch and he took his mantle and he gave it to me. He said, now go and do. I was back. Yeah, I did. This is the first time I didn't share an experience I had in Rosh Hashanah for over a month and a half. I was too busy going, what was that? It, it <laughs> To say it impacted me is an understatement. I mean, I've been chewing on that, meditating on that, wrote it out. Lord, how do I tell people this is what's about to happen to them? He said, just tell them. If nothing else, you're releasing a prophetic word. It's going to affect them somehow. I said, okay. 
by the way, do you have a mantle in the house? A talit? Oh, you want spiritual group, you? No. <laughs> Does somebody have a talit anywhere? I can't do the prophetic gesture and release that mantle on you unless we find one. So, that was two years ago. Definitely not a black mantle, no. Go ahead. She wants to make one appear. I think that's a good idea. Do you have a blue one in there? Anyway, just look. So, that was two years ago. Last year, that'll work. Last year was over the top. Now, you, you would think these were over the top. Thank you. Wait a minute. Come here. Let's see how this works. <laughs> Father, this signifies the mantle that you gave to me, and I release it upon my brother. Father, take from his heart those things that hinder him from the fullness of what you have. Receive. There you go. So last year, I was taken to a place somewhere. You know, in visions, visions are language. Do you know that? Visions are language. One third of your Bible came for dreams and visions. It's the voice of God. So you pay attention when you have an encounter or a vision because everything has significance. So I'm standing and it was just this place. Uh, nothing else was appearing but two things. There was the altar of burnt offering that they used to have in the, the, the tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. I recognize that we've been in a display like that in Israel. And there were beings, I mean, redeemed saints that were standing there as beings of light. And I went, oh, that's cool. But I looked again because they weren't just beings of light. They had flame all over them. I said, well, that's interesting. I've never seen that before. But I was here focused on this. Because part of my devotion to God, what he's built into me, is frequently I take everything that he's given me. All the revelation, all the failures, successes, every hope, want, need, desire, everything. All my members, my future, my past, my imagination, my... I put it on the altar and I pray and I, I release it back to God. And then there's usually a fire that comes and purges and purifies and what's left, I know I can pick up again. That's just about my devotional life with God. So I did that. And the fire came. And, whew, and there it was purified. And I started to move towards it to pick it up again. And, and all of a sudden it was like somebody hit reverse. And the dross was back and I went, what, what was that? I said, Lord, what's going on? And all of a sudden, I got the revelation. I went, oh. And I turned and walked on top of it and stood there also. Then the fire came. <laughs> and man, every atom in my body just went. <laughs> I felt it. Painful ecstasy. I don't know how else to explain that. And then I stepped out of there and I looked at myself. Not only was I being of light, but now I'm covered in fire. I said, Lord, what is this? He said, it's the hour of the coming forth of my burning ones. Wow. 
those that I've called to be conformed to my image. Our God is a consuming fire. Now this fire is unlike anything you've ever witnessed. Because when you step into a place or a region under the unction of the Spirit with this fire on you, instant breakout. See, there's a, there's, there's a coming move of God that the world has never witnessed. And, you know, we always think it's got to take preaching and manipulation and programming and advertising and television. No, 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 no. The world system of Madison Avenue marketing is not going to touch this. But the very presence of God upon His, His separated people, as they walk where God says to go, there's going to be a spontaneous outbreak of the glory and the presence of God that will transform and transcend any move of God that's ever been witnessed. There will be spontaneous deliverances, spontaneous healings, spontaneous transformations, raising of the dead. I'm telling you, everything you've seen in every past revival is about to be exploding upon the nation's by men and women of God, the remnant that have separated themselves unto God and chosen the path less traveled so that they can be lights in the midst of a dark and a perverse generation. The decision is yours. The call is already here. There's a shift. There's a shift. <laughs> God, you're awesome. You're awesome, Father. As soon as Jesus got to the bottom of the descent of the Mount of Olives, the crowds and followers shouted out with a loud voice, outbursts of ecstatic joy over all the mighty wonders of power they had witnessed. We're about to witness tremendous displays of the power and presence of the Lord. Amen, brother. Thank you very much. We've never seen this before. This isn't the arm of flesh. It's not the intellect of man. It's the presencing of God as you submit to the tutelage of the Spirit. Become teachable. You'll be a carrier of the anointing. You'll be a carrier of the presence. You'll be a carrier of the fire. And you will spark it wherever you go. Amen. And you can pray in funny positions. You can stay there. I need this. Okay. Go! Oh, there's a burning, purging fire within you now, Timothy. The old scar tissue, the dross, God's removing it now. The old model and system of thinking, the wounding of past betrayals, rejections, abandonments, and abuse is eradicated now out of your heart. This temple is pure and holy now. There's going to be a sign to you on your physical body that the presence of God and the hour of your visitation and release has come. God's going to release a new thing. 
You've prophesied over many that they would mount up with wings as eagles. God's drawn you towards the eagle. Now you're going to know what it really means. 